Open your Bibles with me once again this morning to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. This morning we turn to 1 Samuel 18 primarily, though we're going to start the reading at the very tail end of chapter 17 where we were last week. If you were here with us or watching online, we are in week three of our series on the life of David. We began a couple weeks ago with that scene of David being anointed as the next king of Israel. And then last week we looked at David's confrontation with the Philistine giant. As we come to our text today, Goliath is dead. He's dead because the true king has appeared. This king-to-be has come on the scene. He's come on the scene to defend God's honor, to save God's people from their enemies, to do what Saul either would not or could not do himself as the present king of Israel. So where we find ourselves today, even before I read, might be termed, we might be able to call it a tale of two kings. A king on his way out, a king who in 20 years will sit on the throne. And in particular today, what we see in this tale of two kings is the hostility and the tension that exists. This was a difficult passage for me to know as a preacher what to do with, how to, how to frame. I mean, I can walk through this passage and we can talk about words and I can just teach it to you, but how do I frame it in such a way that's helpful? How do I frame it in such a way that the questions are answered, why is it here? Why has the Lord preserved this for us? What do we have to learn from this as new covenant believers? Well, by God's grace and help, I hope, I think, uh, that I found a way to do that using the emphasis that the text itself provides. You see, what I think we see here in this passage that I'm about to read in this next episode of David's life that we're about to spend a few minutes looking at is not only an ancient rivalry between two kings in the nation of Israel, but a conflict that actually began long before the giant was dead and will continue long after, in fact, until Jesus, our Savior, comes again. So listen as I read. I invite you, if you are able, to stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 55. Read through the end of the chapter. We're going to skip the first few verses of chapter 18. We'll return to those next week. We'll go right to five, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 5 of chapter 14 reading through verse 29. Long passage. Listen as I read. Give your attention to God's holy word. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. 
And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Verse 5, and David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, and he did day by, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and he came in before the people. And David had his success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter, Mirab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at that time when Merib at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Meholathite, for a wife. Now Saul's David, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him thus, and so did David speak. Then Saul said, thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price. 
except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when David, and when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. And when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's not very Presbyterian to only have two points to your sermon, but I do that from time to time, and I'm going to do it again today. I'd like us, for the next few minutes as we think about this passage in God's Word, to meditate upon two truths. And before I tell you the first one, these are two truths that find their roots back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Verses 13 and 14. Let me read just a portion of those verses where this was stated. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David and departed from Saul. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David and departed from Saul. It's this reality and the effects of this reality in time and this place that I think are at the heart of this passage this morning. God gave his spirit to David and removed his presence from Saul. Now before we unpack that a little, perhaps we should ask the question, yeah, why? Why did that Happen? Well, ultimately, we would say that happened according to God's sovereign pleasure and purposes. But also, we would say it was the reality that in this young man, David, Yahweh found a man after his own heart. In contrast to Saul, whom he found a man who was more interested in his own kingdom and his own glory. And that's exactly what we see unfolding before us in 1 Samuel 18. And so I want to look at these two men with that context, with that grounding, and I want to begin with David. Here's the first truth. The presence of God frees us from self. The presence of God frees us from self. Perhaps you've been asked this question at some point in your lives. What is the the secret to your success? Maybe it was something you made, something you accomplished, a series of accomplishments. What is the secret of your success? If you're asked that question, it's a question that, that... inevitably makes your heart swell with, with pride. 
As we jump back into our story, as we jump back into the story of David and the narrative this morning, David has vaulted to national prominence through his very public whooping of the giant Goliath. He has become an overnight sensation, right? I mean, he is a national hero. And as we tend to do for national heroes, as he comes back from the battlefield, he is welcome with a ticker tape parade. And while he doesn't have a convertible that he can sit in and wave to everybody as he parades through the streets, he does have women pouring out, singing songs, playing musical instruments, banging their tambourines. Bottom line, it is clear from this passage that David is loved seemingly by everyone. In fact, six times in this passage, some some form of the Hebrew verb for love is used. He is loved by Jonathan. He is loved by the servants. He is loved by Michael. He is loved by all of Israel. And we learn in this passage that David is more than just a a one-hit wonder. David's no fluke. He is the real deal. Verse 14, he had success in all of his undertakings. Saul has, in short order, made him a general in his army, and he keeps going out. He keeps coming in, accomplishing all that he set out to do, and even more. And it's because of one reality. It's the latter half of verse 14 that I just read. We see it in verse 12. The Lord was with him. We see it in verse 14. The Lord was with him. We see it in verse 28. The Lord was with David. You see, it's this reality, the presence of God, that frames this entire passage. And remember, this is not some force. This is not the force. This is a personal being. The God of the Scriptures. The same God who is described as being with Abraham and Joseph and and Hezekiah. It's this reality, it's the presence of the Spirit of God who not only empowers, but as we see here, frees us from self. And obviously I'm saying that as if being freed from self is a good thing. Because it is. It is a good thing. So here's where I sneak in three points. These are three sub-points. Three ways that I want you to see the effects of God's presence, of God's spirit on David's life. And And we'll go through them quickly. They bleed from one to another. First, identity. Because of the presence of the Lord, David knows whose he is. He knows who he is, and he knows whose he is. And what does that translate into? That translates into a confidence, into an assurance, into a fearlessness that we certainly saw as he stood before Goliath and took down that giant. But it also comes up in the end of our passage as he essentially overconquers the Philistines at Saul's request. 
identity, but also humility. Because of the presence of the Lord, David is humble. Verse 18, who am I that I should be the son of a king? David clearly shows himself in this passage to not be about his own advancement, to not be about his own kingdom and glory, but about Yahweh's kingdom and Yahweh's glory. Identity, humility, and contentment. Because of the presence of the Lord, he is content. Knowing the inheritance that awaits him, knowing that his future is secure, David is an after building his own kingdom. So even when Saul attacks him, he doesn't use that to his own advantage, but he sticks by God's king. And we say, yeah, what's that all about, Nate? Why is he sticking by a king who tried to spear him to a wall? Well, a couple things. I think number one, as we see in this passage, David thinks so highly of this office. I mean, Saul is God's anointed king. And though David knows he's on his way out as David has been anointed as his replacement, at present, Saul is God's anointed king. But David also knows David was brought into Saul's court because Saul is troubled. And so I think probably the narrative went something like this. David, be careful. Watch out for Saul today. He's having one of those days. He's having one of those episodes. And so David, in his humility and his contentment for where God had placed him, Endures. Regardless, what we see here in David is a humble, confident, and content servant of the Lord. And as we've done these last couple weeks, David is a picture of one to come. David is just a shadow of what is coming through Jesus our Lord. Jesus knew who he was. He knew whose he was. And he confidently walked in that reality. Identity, John 17, 1, Jesus says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Humility, Philippians 4, though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And contentment, Luke 22, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. The presence of the Lord frees us from self. We see it in David. We see it supremely in Jesus, our Savior. And as we come from David through Jesus, brothers and sisters, this becomes our heritage. The same spirit, the same person, that same presence that rushed upon David is ours. The manifestation is different, but the reality is the same. The Lord is with us. The Lord preserves his people 
And so as we think about those same three things, because of the presence of the Lord in our lives, we have a secure identity. I was reading this week in my own personal devotions and time with the Lord. I was reading in the book of Judges and I came to that passage in Judges where Gideon confronts the enemies of God who killed God's people and Gideon is avenging their deaths on behalf of the Lord and he he catches up to them and he says, where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? And they give this snarky answer, these kings. They say this, they all had the look of a king's son. What a statement. Of course, they all had the look of the king's son and so they killed him is what these pagan kings are saying. But it got me thinking, do we have the look of the king's son, of the king's daughter? Are we secure in that identity? Is it obvious? That's, that's your heritage. That's your inheritance through Jesus. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that's fashioned against you shall succeed. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Psalm 124, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when the people rose against us, they would have swallowed us alive. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Oh, you know as well as I do that this this doesn't mean that the Lord promises or the Scriptures promise us a prosperous, carefree life. But God's Word does promise us that our enemies, whomever they may be, whatever they may be, will not have the final say. Because of the presence of the Lord in our lives, we have identity. We also have humility. This is the the hallmark of the presence of God's Spirit in the life of a believer. God has worked in us in such a way that no one, no one can boast. It is a gift. Paul said to the Ephesians. And so freed from self, secure in God's love, gripped by his mission, one is free to wholeheartedly pursue God's agenda. David actually turns these realities that we've talked about into a song. Psalm 131, the song of David. He says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Identity, humility, and contentment. Jesus told his followers 
in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. The presence of God frees us from self. In Jesus and in Jesus alone is the life that we need. The life we were made for. And so come to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out for his presence by the Spirit. But there's obviously another character in today's passage, right? (laughs) A contrast to the life that we've just walked through and outlined. A life that serves as a warning for us. A life to flee from. It's the life of Saul. And it's the second reality. If the presence of God frees us from self, the absence of God leaves only self. The absence of God leaves us with us. If we reject the Lord, if we reject his presence, if we reject the life that he freely offers and wants to give, the only thing that we have to define ourselves, the only thing that we have to console ourselves, the only thing that we have to guide ourselves is us. That should be scary. It is scary. And that's where, that's where Saul finds himself in this passage. While three times we are told that the Lord was with David, three times we are told of Saul. In verse 12, in verse 15, in verse 29, that he was afraid. Saul was afraid at all that he saw in the servant David. So if we take these observations that we've made about David and Jesus, identity, humility, and contentment as a result of the presence of God. What do we see in Saul? We see the exact opposite. We see fear and insecurity. We see pride. And we see envy. It begins way back in verse 58 of chapter 17. So I wanted to read that passage. Saul asks after the killing of Goliath, whose son are you, young man? Now we know from chapter 16, verse 19, that Saul knew who David was. After all, he invited David into his court. Now he might not have had a clear understanding of or a clear remembrance of who he is. I think David's music was kind of background music, kind of soothing background music in his court wasn't like David was a front and center fixture every day in Saul's life. But now that faint musician that he remembers playing in his court, he needs to know a little more about this kid. Why? Because David is now a potential threat. And Saul's fear and insecurity begins right there even before the ticker tape parade, but it continues with the ticker tape parade because of the song. Saul has struck his thousands. 
David his ten thousands. Now, commentators will tell you that this was a regular characteristic of Hebrew poetry, of Hebrew parallelism. We see it all the time in the Psalter. Something is stated, and then something is stated with a little more oomph. And true, David got that second line. I mean, after all, he kind of deserved the second line. He fell the giant. But this is the king's victory too. They came out, our text says, not just to praise David. They came out to praise the king. They came out to praise Saul and he, his victory. He is being honored as well. There should be plenty of honor to go around. But Saul is already insecure. He's already unsure of himself. And so he interprets that song not as harmless Hebrew parallelism, but he interprets that as a slight against him. And so what does the text say? Saul eyed David from that day on. Every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you. Saul's afraid. He's afraid because God's left him. God left him because he left God. And he knows it's futile to subvert God's purposes, and yet in his pride, he will try. So in contrast to David's confident identity, Saul is fearful, lost in himself. In contrast to David's humility, Saul is consumed with pride. He will do whatever he can do to hold on to his kingdom. He'll try to take David out himself. Doesn't work. He'll try to get him in the way of God's enemies in order that they might do the job and take David out for him. It won't work. Whereas David's identity is secure, his heart is humble and his life is content, Saul is slowly being eaten away by envy. Now perhaps we don't talk enough about envy in the church, but envy is the enemy of God. Frankly, enemy is an epidemic in our age. fueled by comparisons that we make with others, which, which at its root, brothers and sisters, those comparisons are at their root an assault on God's providence. You're saying, it's not fair, God. Fueled by comparison, envy will suck the joy out of our lives. And it will eat us up. It did so for Saul. To the point of using his own daughters as pawns to rid himself, or at least to try to rid himself of a threat to his kingdom. Unbelievable. But in the absence of God, all we are left with is ourselves. Our kingdoms, what we can build, what we can secure. And of course, this is how it all started. 
This is how Lucifer, this beautiful angel that God had created, refused himself to be content with his place. And in futility, he rebelled. And in futility, he rebels still, encouraging us, goading us to do the same. This is the spirit of our age. It's all about you, what you want to do, who you want to be, who you want to love, who you can use to rise to the top. Friends, there is no true life found here. It's a lie. So this is the challenge, one of the takeaways from this passage, to guard ourselves against comparison, pride, envy, and to pray for more of the Spirit. To pray for lives that live united to Jesus. Because only through that path, the self-abandoning path of the anointed one is life found. Let me repeat that. Only through that path, the self-abandoning path of the anointed one of God is life truly found. Anna Waring was a Welsh poet and Anglican hymn writer from the 19th century. And she expresses the truths that I've just talked about beautifully. If I thought we knew the the tune of the hymn, I would have had Leandra lead us in it, but I don't think we know the tune. Some of you may know the words. I want to read it to you, four verses. She writes, Father, I know that all my life is portioned out for me. The changes that are sure to come, I do not fear to see. I ask thee for a present mind intent on pleasing thee. I would not have the restless will that hurries to and fro, seeking for some great thing to do or secret thing to know. I would be treated as a child and guided where to go. I ask thee for the daily strength to none that ask denied, a mind to blend with outward life while keeping at thy side, content to fill a little space if thou be glorified. In service which thy will appoints, there are no bonds for me. My secret heart is taught the truth that makes thy children free. A life of self-renouncing love is one of liberty. What a great hymn. Childlike trust that has no fear, contentment in whatever, because God deserves the glory, and a life of self-forgetfulness. This is David. This is Jesus. And by the transformative power of God's presence in our lives and the spirit in our lives, may it be us as well. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you for this episode, for your servant David, for the Lamb of God, Jesus. And we pray, Father, that as we think through our lives, as we think through our struggle with self, Lord, that we would know more of your presence. And that those here who have not yet known your presence, or those here for whom it's been too long since your presence has felt real to them, oh God, I pray that you would show yourself, that you would draw them close as you draw close to them. Father, take this word, plant it in the lives of your people, use it as you see fit, I pray, for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.